Hello everyone and welcome uh, to Social Work Shorts podcast number, I'm going to say five, is that right? Uh, the fifth um, in this series of podcasts, kind of about social work, but when I look back, probably more about productivity and getting things done and self-care and that kind of thing, but that is so important um, for all us, us social workers in whatever way we uh social work or support social work um so here we are again uh, i've got my big cup of tea ready to kind of uh, gulp my way through uh, this uh, this podcast so we'll see how it goes um i've been thinking a lot um lately about motivation about what mo- motivates us how we're motivated um and what that impact that might have have on us and um, that reminded me of a book that I read uh, some time ago called uh, The Calendar Effect. Um, and it's written by a guy called Chris Sturmey. Um, I say he's a guy. I've, I'm kind of piecing that together from the very limited information on the internet. So I have no idea whether this guy um, has any right to be <laughs> writing about this kind of thing um, or really where he got his, get, got his information from. But I've read this book. The calendar effect, and and it has some resonance with me. Although I have to say, there are some things in there um, that I don't agree with. He talks a lot about uh, people managing on two and three hours sleep and that kind of thing, and uh, that's just not good for you, as as you know, because I've already spoken about that. And uh, there's stuff written about that on on the kind of companion website to this socialworkshorts.co.uk, and there's some other bits and pieces in there, and there are some other, um, let's say interesting books um, that he's written if you have a look at on Amazon forum but this one was quite interesting and I read it a long time ago and like I say some of these things kind of had some resonance for me and in this book um, he says that um, modern society lives perpetually in the future we're perpetually waiting for the next thing for things to get better for things to turn a corner and he says some of this is because we're locked into this thing that he calls the calendar effect. Um, and this calendar effect has an impact on us both on a, on a, on a daily basis, um, weekly basis, kind of an annual basis, and, and a life basis. And I kind of agree with some of the stuff he says, so I thought I'd share some of it with you. Um, he suggests that really um, the only two things that are definite for us are our birth and our death. The rest of it in the middle is kind of how we how we break that up, how we divide that up, is to a large extent constructed. Um, some of it's constructed, I guess, by um, the, the the Earth revolving around the Sun. It takes a certain length of time to do one rotation. It takes a certain length of time to get all the way around. Those kind of things. So those kind of things are kind of given to us, I guess. But then we've created a whole structure around that. We've created a whole structure um, in the day. Uh, I'm going to talk about um, kind of kind of nine to five work and Monday to Friday work, and but I, I completely know that because um, I've done it myself that people work shifts, people work odd patterns. But actually, that kind of just adds into the the debate that, that there is in in this. Um, so we we've locked ourselves um, into this kind of cycle of of nine to five, uh, Monday to Friday um, at a kind of at a kind of micro level, at a kind of day-by-day level. But on a on a life scale level, what he suggests is, and I've, I've seen this written in other places as well, so it's not really his idea, um, is that we spend our whole lives in, in three cycles. We have a learning cycle, an earning cycle, and a yearning cycle. 
And uh, what's suggested is that we spend the first part of our lives up to the age of, I don't know, these days, lots of people going off to university probably kind of, um, you know, kind of early to mid-20s. We spend all of that time um, learning. And as a consequence of that learning, we then end up with some sort of job, some sort of role, um, hopefully connected to that learning, but often not uh, these days. Um, but hopefully you end up with a job connected to that learning. You can put it to good use and earn money. Um, and what happens is, though, we get so focused on earning money because we live in this uh, capitalist created society of, of bigger televisions and fancier cars um, and more of this and more of that and uh, our lived experience, you know, um, that costs us money. Uh, we're, we're locked into that so that we always spend our time thinking next weekend I'll do this, next year I'll do this. When I retire, I'll do this. And the problem is you then get to retirement um, and you and you can then kind of do what you want. That's kind of how it's, how it's structured if you've got enough money in retirement, if you've been fortunate enough to squirrel away lots of money. You then sit in your retirement. If you're not careful, um, there's a little bit of kind of uh, theory about aging in here as well, I guess. Disengagement theory says uh, as we get older, we start to disengage more from society, I guess, and, and our worlds become smaller. Um, if you're not careful, you, you disengage to the extent that you then sit at home and yearn for all of the things that you wish you'd done with your life, um, the bulk of your life, which you'd spent from ages, what, 20-something to probably 70 these days, when you'd done it with your eye completely taken off the ball, when you should have been living your life, but you were waiting for the next best thing or the next thing to happen or the next opportunity. Um, so you spend your time yearning for all of those things that you could have done, um, when really what you should have been doing was doing them as and when you could and experiencing kind of life to the full. So we've got this life course kind of view of, of, of this calendar effect. Um, we've also got an annual uh, view of it, you only have to walk through uh, your favourite supermarket. Um, it, it, once they've got the Christmas stuff off the shelves, the Valentine stuff goes on the shelves. Once the Valentine stuff goes off the shelves, the Easter stuff goes off or onto the shelves. Once the Easter stuff goes off the shelves, the gardening stuff and the holiday stuff goes onto the shelves. Once that all goes off the shelves, you know, the um, what will be next? Um, you know, the, the fireworks, uh, that, that kind of thing, they go on the shelves and then we're back to Christmas again and we're locked into this cycle. We're locked into this cycle. Um, we're forced, I'd argue, to kind of spend our money on these things to be doing the thing that capitalism has kind of locked us into. Um, so we've got that annual kind of view of it, but we've also got the day-to-day -day kind of view of it. Um, and this is the bit that I think kind of saps our productivity sometimes um, and it works on this idea or it links into this idea of work-life balance which you will hear bandied around all over the place we have this part of our life that we call work and we just have this part of our life that we call life and I'm going to argue that actually we shouldn't do that we, we only have one life and in that one life, we have the opportunity on a daily basis to do something that will enhance our lives. So on some days, we'll go to a place, we'll do a particular thing, and somebody will reward us with money for doing that particular thing. On another day, we might go to a particular place 
and uh, trade that money for some sort of experience or some sort of item. On other days, we might do something like I'm doing right now. We might do something that's kind of linked to the thing we get paid for, but where we don't get any money out of it. But we do it for pleasure. We're motivated by the pleasure of doing it um, because it's something that we're interested in. It's something that we're motivated to do. And I've got this view that we should stop talking about work-life balance and just talk about how we balance our lives. Because if I put it like this, when you're at work and you are completely absorbed in a task that you enjoy, say you're sat with um, an older person, talking with them about their lives so you can that can contribute to an assessment. Or you're with a family who genuinely want to work with you on their parenting and you're working with them and it's helpful to them and you're supporting them and you're really in that moment. Or dare I say, you're writing a report and it's important because what's going to happen at the end of that report is it's going to go to court or it's going to make some recommendations and you're totally absorbed in that report and actually you're enjoying writing it. Um, So sometimes what I'm saying is when we're at work, the thing we call work in this work-life balance, when we're there, we do things that are often highly enjoyable. And we do things that aren't. And equally, when we're in the other bit that we call life, we do things that are highly enjoyable. Like, for me, going for a run, I find that highly enjoyable. Reading a book, I find that highly enjoyable. But when you're doing the ironing, or washing the dishes, or changing the bedclothes, doesn't feel like life. It feels like work, yeah? So sometimes when we're at the thing we call work, we're experiencing what I would call kind of life. And sometimes when we're in the thing that we call life, sometimes it feels like bloody work, doesn't it? And it feels like hard work and you don't want to do it. And some of that is locked, some of that idea comes from us being locked into this calendar effect thing, yeah? So we, we've, we've delegated Monday to Friday as the bit when we're going to give up our time to some sort of work. Um where we're going to kind of give of ourselves, where, but in a way where we're kind of being forced to be somewhere. We're forced to be here because we have to earn money because we have to pay the mortgage and we're here because we have to be here. And then we, we can't wait for Friday. I see all the memes. I see all the stuff that gets posted. Do you know what I mean? You'll see it all. Uh, you know, thank God it's Friday. Here we are, just one more day to go. We have days for some of the, you know, we have, we have names for some of these days. We call Wednesday a hump day because we've got over half the week. Isn't that great? Well, no, because that's two days less than my life I've got left. So it's not great, you know. That's how I look at it anyway. Um, so no, it's not great that it's hump day, you know. It's not great that it's hump day because I've got those days out the way. If I haven't experienced life in those two days, then it's not great that they've gone. Yeah, so um, we have this Friday feeling that it's great because now we're on our time. Interestingly, productivity falls on a Friday afternoon and it falls on a Friday afternoon because we're about to get to our time. So we start to take our eye off the ball, yeah? We then resent the fact that we've got a report to write that needs to be done by the end of Friday because, hey, I'm nearly at my time. This is nearly my time. Why am I writing this report? Why have I got to stop late? Why have I got to stop late when I'm nearly at my time? We have the same feeling on a Sunday afternoon, don't we? Sunday afternoon, Sunday night. Why have I got to go to work tomorrow? Why is it nearly the end of my time? Why is the end of my time now? Why have I got to go and do this thing tomorrow? 
Well, we're locked into this. We're locked into this. And I think for me, for our own psychological well-being, for our own productivity, um, for our own self-care, for our own well-being, we need to stop being locked into this, this, this cycle of spending all week craving Friday and then spending some of the weekend at least regretting or whatever that it's, that it's now, that it's, that it's Monday tomorrow. Um, I don't think that's productive and I don't think that's helpful to us. Um, I think, and I, and I do this and I'm quite fortunate, I, I, I'm lucky to work in, in the job that I'm in. It comes with its stresses. Um, but it's generally a rewarding um, profession to, to be a lecturer in a university. It, it's generally a good thing. Although there's lots of stuff that goes with it that, um, you know, that, that, that's process, that's work, if you want to go back to those terms, you know. Um, so I think it's a myth that we need to balance up one thing against another when really we just need to balance up the whole. And I'm not suggesting for a minute that time with family is not important, that time to yourself is not important. I'm actually saying that those that those are really important. They're just as important as anything else. Uh, but we're balancing it all up. It's, it's a whole system, isn't it? We're balancing up the whole system. We're not trying to make two systems, work and life, work uh, together. No, we've just got we've just got one system that we're trying to make work. some of the reasons we feel the way we do about some of these things this desire not to be at work but to be in life um, or looking forward to the life bit happening is maybe what motivates us um, and if you think back to when you decided you wanted to be a social worker I would suggest that what was motivating you then was a desire to help people the things that were driving you forward would be a desire to help people, a desire to support people, a desire to facilitate change, a desire to maybe protect, um, those kind of things. That's what would be, you'd be motivated internally from those drivers. And I think what happens when we get into the world of work with that, if we're not careful, we start being motivated um, by the time skills, by... Um, the time of day is so I have to start work now I, I want to finish work now but I have to finish work at this point I've got this many jobs to do my manager wants this by whenever she's told me it has to be done by this date I've got this court report to write for tomorrow I've got this assessment for um, you know this community care assessment to do by um, this Friday we start being motivated by those factors um, at the expense sometimes of being motivated internally. And it's a balance. I get that. I get that. We're probably we're motivated by both things, probably, um, in reality. But we start taking more notice of those external motivations, those extrinsic motivating factors, um, than we do those internal or intrinsic motivating factors. Intrinsic motivating factors rely on your view of your ideal self yeah you have a version of who you are it may be idealistic 
ideological, those kind of things. It may be all of those things. And you have an idea of, of who you want to be, the sort of person you are. Intrinsic motivation is rooted in that. Extrinsic motivation is rooted in conforming to what others want you to do. And that's not a comfortable place. We don't like being there, do we? We don't like being there, really. Um, Frederick Taylor brought us um, scientific management back in the days of kind of, you know, um, turn of the uh, 19th, 20th century. Um, he said that people respond to external forces. Um, and maybe maybe they did um, when we were talking about a manuf- um, uh, an economy rooted more in manufacturing rather than in um, your service services like we are now, delivery to people. Um, he said that if you reward people, uh, financial rewards, um, that kind of thing, then then people will be motivated to do more work. We're discovering though that that's not necessarily the case. Um, in a great book called Drive by uh, Danielle Pink, um, he he gives a, a great number of examples about where people aren't motivated by what he calls carrots and sticks, um, external extrinsic motivations, um, and he gives he gives some examples. One of which, which I find interesting, is that is that money does motivate us absolutely. At the end of the day, um, you know, when we go to work as social workers, we're going to work to do a job, and in return. Uh, for doing that job, we expect to get paid. Um, but what uh, some studies have shown is that once you get to a certain level of, of, of pay, once you get to a certain level of income, money actually stops motivating you. Um, so while I'm sure I could be more motivated for more money where I'm at, quite frankly, now, and you're probably the same, um, what that demonstrates is that extrinsic motivation, like salary, um, has a threshold as do other extrinsic motivations. There's a threshold to how much they they motivate us. Um, He also gives a great example, which I remember from um, one of Mark Twain's books, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, where uh, where Tom is is painting the fence. And he's whitewashing it, if I remember rightly, whitewashing the fence. And he's not having a good time of it because he needs to get this fence whitewashed. It's a huge fence. And one of his friends kind of pitches up and is just watching what he's doing. And... um, Tom Sawyer has this this great idea that that if uh, that if he makes it appear that whitewashing the fence is is quite exciting and it's a great thing to do, and it, it's benefiting him some way, making him feel a lot happier about the world and happy about himself, that uh, that, that 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 other people um, might then want to do that as well. Um, and he does this, and then he kind of cons his friend really into kind of. You know, in doing this, and uh, and his friend then paints the fence, and and if I remember rightly, in the book, he then has lots of of the the children from uh, from around the area, all whitewashing and, and kind of painting the fence, um, and it just shows that if you feel good about doing something, um, if you have a positive attitude towards what you're doing, um, then you get on it with a bit of your with a bit of a kind of you know, bit of a spring in your step. So that's the that's the Sawyer effect anyway, which is um, in that book. So if we're going to be successful at whatever we're doing, really, I mean, this is not just about social work. We've got to find the we've got to find the the intrinsic motivation, or hang on to that intrinsic motivation. What is it that's motivating us? In fact, really, it's down to managers. I think to create the right environment um, where people feel um, intrinsically motivated, rather than being motivated by carrots and sticks, rather than being motivated uh, kind of externally. And um, 
This has been developed um, into a theory. Desi and Ryan, D-E-C-I and Ryan, R-Y-A-N. Not sure I'm pronouncing Desi right, but uh, there you go. Um, this idea of um, self-determination theory. And uh, this theory says that, uh, that, that we have innate psychological needs. And they say there are three of them. Uh, to be competent, autonomous and related. Yeah. And if we can have those three, um, I don't know, competencies, for want of a better word, or psychological needs um, met, then we'd be satisfied and we'd be motivated. So if we feel competent, and that's about our knowledge and our skills, that's about um, effective supervision, that's about being supported um, by managers who will encourage us, who will encourage our continuous professional development so if we feel competent that's one thing ticked off if we can be autonomous so if we can do the job the way we want to do it um, if we can somehow kind of set our own deadlines and I know we can't set a deadline for an assessment we can't set a deadline for a court report I know we can't do that but we can set deadlines within those time frames so if we can be, have control over our visits and when we do our report writing, when we're in the office and when we're not in the office, um, if we can control that and be autonomous around that as far as is possible, that's another one ticked off. Yeah, I've got this, I've got this other mad idea that'll never take off, um, which is we should be paid for what we do, not the hours we work. And we shouldn't have any core hours and people should just be given the tasks to do that are required to do and they do them whenever they want. It kind of ties in with the way I feel about the, the whole work-life balance thing that I talked about before. Um, I'm not suggesting that social workers should do this for a minute. Um, I'm not suggesting this is for you. This is very much about me, but it, it might help. It might help if I tell you how I feel about it. I, I always fairly routinely check my emails on a Sunday afternoon. Um, the payoff is that I sometimes finish work early on my last day at work. Um, and I think, well, it's all right. I'll not check my emails now. I'll not tidy my emails up and get them sorted because I'd rather do them on Sunday afternoon, Sunday early Sunday evening. Um, so I do that. And sometimes, um, and again, I have the luxury of this because sometimes some of the things I do are, are not time sensitive. But I might think on my last day in the office, I might think, actually, you know, it's three o'clock. Um, I'm, I'm tired. Uh, I don't work well. On an afternoon, we've talked about chronotypes, I think, before, haven't we? And I'm not an afternoon person. I do my best work at, at half six, seven o'clock in the morning. By two, three o'clock, um, I'm really no good for anything. What I tend to do then is um, kind of admin functions that take no thinking about, but just need to be done, photocopy stuff, print stuff off, you know, that kind of thing. That's, those are the kind of jobs that I keep for that, that point in time. We talked about chunking in the, in the, last, in the last podcast, you know, so... Um, chunking all my tasks together so the stuff that needs brain work the stuff that needs a lot of thinking gets done in the morning the stuff that doesn't need much thinking and just needs me to kind of plow through stuff and tidy stuff up and file stuff and whatever that gets done in the afternoon because I'm done in by then but sometimes I'll decide to go home and think well actually I've got a fairly light, light weekend this weekend I've not got much on so what I'll do is I'll prepare that lecture on Saturday morning um, and that's the sort of balance that I think we need to get. So I, I get to go home at three o'clock on the day that I want to go home at three o'clock and I get to do what, what I want to do then, probably fall asleep um, in front of Bargain Hunt. Um, and then and then I, I do a bit of work on a Saturday morning. And, and I, I think if we could create jobs that work like that, I think if we create lifestyles that work like that, where 
there's work to be done and there's work to be done by certain times and there's work that has to be done in particular ways. Uh, be flexible about when you do it. Do it when you want as long as it's done in time, you know, as long as it's done in a timely fashion. I think we'd be better for that. We'd have more control. That's that bit about autonomy anyway. So so we, we want to feel competent and we want to feel um, autonomous. And I actually think, you know, as qualified professionals, um, you should feel competent. I know your competency or your feelings of being competent are undermined sometimes by the things that happen in the workplace. Um, I think the competency can be easily undermined by not having control um, of your of your diary. That's the bit about autonomy. But I think with autonomy comes responsibility to uh, to be structured and organised to do the things we've I've talked about in, in, in other podcasts and, and in writing, you know, to have a trusted system that controls everything that you're doing, to have a routine, to have a morning routine around around emails and planning, to do the job and then to plan again. All of that, I think that's part of autonomy is that as well. I think if you're gonna be if, if if we ever get to the point where jobs can be more autonomous, um, where you can be left to your own devices and as long as you deliver everybody's happy, um, we need people to think about those kind of structures. The third thing, um that self-determination theory says is we crave relatedness and that is we crave close relationships um, with those around us close supportive relationships and again that's something we need to foster um, you know I'm, I'm constantly amazed when I when I talk to social workers um, about the difference that social workers experience um, just to give you an example, I guess I've talked to two social workers in the last couple of months who who were uh, who, when I talk to them about being organised, they they're, they're right into the sort of stuff that I'm talking about in terms of self care and productivity, and they'll keep telling me things. Oh, I do this and I do that. This is the way I do that. I'm going, yeah, that that's that's in book X or book Y. Um, yeah, I love to talk about that kind of thing. Is is what I'll say, and. Um, Interestingly, because, uh, you know, um, there's pressure in all sorts of social work, but the pressure I hear about the most probably is, is in child protection. Uh, we have lots of students in child protection placements, so I hear it uh, through through that, I guess. Um, I've talked to people who are at least in the same local authority, probably in the same team, where one person feels overwhelmed by the job um, and one person is managing all right um, with it. Uh, so we need to figure out what they're doing different or maybe what managers are doing different. I don't know. But there is something in this process approach to productivity, getting all your ducks in a row so you know what's what, so you know what you can safely leave, so you know what's left to do. There's something in that um, because I've seen it tangi tangibly on the faces of, of people who I've talked to um, when I'm visiting students. Um, and I think some of that is this relatedness. Some of that, the, some of the other stuff that I see is that social workers who've got good relationships on teams have got good relationships with their managers. Um, you know, good supportive networks at home. Um, they're the people who who often seem to be doing well. Um, I, I do think, though, uh, and this is why I keep beating this productivity drum. I do think that not everybody knows how to be professionally organized to support their productivity i don't think people are failing in any way i just think they're not aware they're not conscious of what they could do differently so that that's why I, that's i don't know i don't know whether i'm trying to kind of um, justify what i'm doing here um but that's what i really think 
Um, it would be easy to fall into the trap of saying that that's blaming the individual. Um, and, and as I've said before, there are, bigger, there are big problems in social work, um, no doubt about it, but under-resourced, understaffed. Um, but I'm a great believer in, in dealing with what you can, doing what you can in, in your world at that micro level and uh, employing some of these skills around productivity is probably one of those use, useful, <laughs> I nearly said useless there, um, it's probably one of those useful things that you can uh, that you can do. So Pink kind of draws on this idea of competence, autonomy and relatedness and uh, and kind of moves it around a little um, and, and comes to the conclusion um, in, in, in his very good book that uh, that there are three things that are important to motivation. One of them similar, autonomy, he says that's absolutely crucial. So autonomy in your working day. Uh, mastery, which is really the same as competence. And also he says purpose. Um, having, having purpose to what you do. And I'd argue that that purpose needs to be driven internally. That's an intrinsic thing. That's not something that can be externally thrust upon you. You need to think about what the purpose is that brought you to social work. You need to go back probably to that day you were writing your application form um, to the university because you wanted to be a social worker. You need to probably go back to that, study that, and keep that um, at the forefront of your mind when all of those extrinsic things are trying to eat away at that internal um, frame of reference, that intrinsic motivation. Um, he also suggests be interested in what you're doing. Um, take an interest in it. I think as, as any professional tends to find that their life is eaten up with their job, I don't think that's just social work. I think that's everything. I think that's law, nursing, um, medicine. It's all of those things. You tend to become absorbed in it. Yeah, We're interested uh, in what we do. We're interested in what's going on around us get interested in psychological developments, developments in, in case law, all of those kind of things. I think, as a slight aside, I think the core thing we should be teaching social work students and driving social workers to continue to consider in their continuous professional development is psychology. Um, I think sociology is important. Sociology is you know, is, are those factors external to us, how society's constructed that impact on us, influence us, but how we respond to those, how from our psychological perspective we respond to those things, I think is the most crucial. Give me a year, I'll probably change my mind, but that's, that's how I think at the minute. Um, because if we're motivated and interested in what we're doing, we'll enjoy what we're doing. And... I talk to social workers who I know enjoy bits of it, but don't enjoy other bits of it. We need to find a way to enjoy as much as you can the whole thing. There's bits of my job that I don't particularly like, but I enjoy them from the perspective of, let's get this done, because if I get this done now, tomorrow will be better, you know, because I won't have this thing to do, it'll be off my mind. I'll be able to then concentrate on whatever comes up tomorrow. So I think, you know, be interested, um, enjoy what you're doing, because ultimately what we're after here is some satisfaction in our jobs and some satisfaction in the sense that we've supported and helped others. So that's been, uh, that's been one, long one long conversation, um, rather than maybe two or three like I've normally done. 
But I think it's important. I think what motivates us um, to do what we do is really important. And it's influenced and impacted by the structures that are around us. And recap, and I'm thinking particularly there of this calendar effect. I'm thinking particularly of um, the negatives of extrinsic motivation like time scales. Um, and I'm thinking we need to seek support somehow and see how we make sure that in terms of team, in terms of management, um, we are being supported. Okay. Um, well, there you go. Enjoy uh, enjoy whatever you're up to. Um, make sure you take some time for yourself. Um, I'm going to suggest get out for a bit of exercise, go for a walk, go for a run. Um, get yourself a glass of wine but not a bottle maybe anyway look after yourselves and uh, I look forward to uh, talking to you again soon